Hello and welcome to Buy Positive. These are your hosts, Mari and MD. And today we will be talking about something that has come up on social media recently quite a lot, and that is the subject of quote unquote toxic masculinity. Before you click away from this, <laughs> we want to talk about traditional beliefs about masculinity, how they can become toxic, and essentially what that means for men who don't adhere to these kinds of notions, including therefore by men. So first and foremost, what is toxic masculinity or traditional masculine ideology, you know, whatever floats your boat? There is some research that defines it as a, as a certain set of behaviors and characteristics that are being taught to men across the world. Things like suppressing emotions or masking distress, maintaining an appearance of hardness, and using violence as an indicator of power. It's just tough guy, macho kind of behavior. And that means that boys are taught to suck it up and that men don't cry and you can't express your emotions. You have to be tough, you have to man up. And that if a man does display emotion, that makes them somehow more feminine, aka weak. You can see how a lot of these kinds of notions are also rooted in misogyny. And yes, it still exists. Uh, not everywhere to the same level. And it's changing. I mean, everything that happened with the Gillette ad mm. uh, shows one thing is that a lot of people are not ready to hear that maybe you can be a man otherwise. And you can, there are always other ways of being a man and still be a man. Because this um, toxic masculinity or traditional masculinity is uh, linked to uh, higher, I mean, not necessarily higher, but to mental health risks. We know that men are... Uh, 3.5 times more likely than women to die by suicide. I mean, we know that generally a lot of their life expectancy is uh, shorter than women for several reasons. Uh, also, the link to labor and uh, some habits like uh, drug use and well, substance abuse in general. According to an article that we are actually looking at right now from the APA, a lot of these kinds of risky behaviors like substance use and, you know, not eating well uh, those also can correspond to these kinds of traditional masculine ideas. You know, when you think about frat boys in colleges, I'm they engage good. in... No, yeah. don't, don't think about them. <laughs> no. I'm just going to say that, you know, those kinds of behaviors are encouraged by their peers as peer pressure that makes guys in these kinds of environments to behave a certain way, to skew a healthy lifestyle in favor of displaying their masculinity like chugging beer and then going to the hospital for two weeks it's uh, the, the the recurring joke you know so often about men no i don't want to eat vegetables mm. you know what if you don't eat vegetables it's not good for your health mm. <laughs> yeah there there's something very interesting about how socially we tend to perceive certain things as gendered even though they shouldn't be things like eating vegetables things like brunch you know things like there are certain things that that men don't want to eat because I mean, they're somehow girly <laughs> there are certain things that like that shouldn't be gendered say the amount of crap you can get for offering a man to use something that's pink mm. yeah. i mean more and more this is changing the interesting part is that pink used to be a masculine color up until quite recently in history but there are still some some things that you know if you go, say Gillette, for example, if you go into a store, how likely is a guy to buy a razor that is pink? Also because it's more expensive, because Gillette might be a little bit hypocritical on that thing. Because Fair enough. Yeah. And another thing that, that also makes it very difficult 
And I'm not going to say that men who adhere to traditional masculinity ideas don't benefit from them. Of course they do. On the flip side, they're also being forced into these kinds of traditional gender roles that may not be compatible for them. Which is clear that men benefit from patriarchy, but also they also are hurt by it. Yeah. In different ways. And women, they definitely are hurt by it. Yeah. And, like you have a very, very, um, very direct uh, consequence on, on health. Also because like this idea of, you know, traditional masculinity is the idea that you shouldn't be gay. So there's a study, there are multiple studies actually, but that's the one that, that I could come up with. It's a study done in 2009 uh, about how African-American and white men experience cancer screening exams that involve the rectum. So prostate cancer, colonoscopies, all those things. According to this study, men would consider these kinds of invasive, quote-unquote, they're not really invasive, but you know, penetrative procedures to be feminizing, that, that in some way this relates to gay sex, and therefore you can't be a real man if you go in and a doctor sticks a finger up your butt to check if you have cancer. And it's a documented thing that in these cases, can- prostate cancer could have been could have been caught early. Prostate cancer has an insane insane percentage of mortality rates just because people don't get checked because this is considered to be embarrassing, for the same reasons that a lot of women don't get their vaginas checked regularly and then end up having to um, get laser treatments on the uterus. There's a lot about embarrassment and sexuality there. Just for that, of course, men become more likely to develop cancer because mm-hmm. they're not getting screened. There's also multiple studies uh, across countries uh, showing that those beliefs are still widely uh, held, even though we, we wish they, they weren't. There's this, um, there was this study in uh, Australia. I mean, we'll put the references yeah. uh, in, the, in the comments. Yeah, Yeah. so this, the study in Australia, this one was done in 2018, quite recently. It was a survey of 1,000 young men on their attitude towards so-called seven pillars of traditional manhood, which are self-sufficiency, toughness, physical attractiveness, rigid gender roles, heterosexuality and homophobia, hypersexuality, and aggression and control over women. And the researchers called it the man box, uh, or the ideals of manhood that can be influential and restrictive to young men. And surprise, surprise, even though these kinds of ideals are on the decline very slowly, but steadily they are on the decline, there are still certain expectations about what it means to be a man. So these these people that answered the survey came up with 69% of the people who answered the survey said that society expected men to act strong. Uh, 60% said that men were expected to fight back when they were pushed. And 56% said that men had no right to say no to sex. Some of the ideas were on the decline. Um, there were only, only, I mean, only, it's, only way only, too much. it's already way too much. Yeah, that 35% of men agree that society tells them they should use violence to get respect. 36% thought that straight men should shun gay men as their friends. 38% thought that boys shouldn't learn how to cook and clean. And 39% thought that men shouldn't do household chores. In addition, 35% thought that men should be primary breadwinners. And what was particularly troubling to the people who conducted the study is that 27% of young men believed they should always have the final say about decisions in their relationships, and 37% believed they should know where their wives or girlfriends were at all times. Which is quite scary when you think about it. 
tiny bit, yeah. Mm. So this is Australia, yeah. like Australian society, but we can certainly say that it might not be very different from other countries and to the point where there's this those new guidelines, set of guidelines that has been uh, released by the uh, American Psychological Association, which is about uh, practice with uh, men and boys. Mm. And the idea uh, behind it, I mean, it's complicated because, you know, men <laughs> were dominant in the field and sometimes women were seen as case study. Uh, I mean, there's a, a lot of to say about the uh, disparity in uh, I mean, the gender inequality and the stereotyping and the prejudice within the field of psychology. But um, those guidelines basically are here to encourage psychologists to see men as being impacted by culture, race, relationship, thinking that men just follow some sort of standardized set of behaviors. Yeah. And then, then to, to keep seeing men as, as complex uh, beings, because, I mean, and also a lot of, uh, I mean, we are... Uh, both, both identify as women, and it's true that working with men sometimes we could be tempted to stereotype. No, I think I think it's it's quite um, it's quite prevalent nowadays, and it, it has always been that women in general. I'm, mm. say, I'm talking cis cis women, but stereotype men a lot. You know, I'm thinking crazy ex girlfriend and mm. the let's generalize about men song. Like yeah. it's true. There is a certain tendency that we as women also have to... I mean, it's, it's, it's a protection. It's a way to defend yeah. ourselves in a way. But especially as mental health professionals, mm. we can't not have that mindset when working. It's not possible. And it wouldn't be ethical, especially because it would be completely erasing the fact that men also suffer from that toxic masculinity. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, what makes it so hard to work with, with cis men, cis straight men, is that this vulnerability both parties know it's present but it's just not talked about mm -hmm. that's what makes it hard and accessing that vulnerability can take a very long time and more so men are less likely not just to seek help in terms of physical health they're also less likely to seek mental help um, because it's it's seen as a weakness you know going to a therapist going to a shrink is seen as something that women do you know it's something that's still traditionally believed to be like for housewives who are too bored to make up their own problems and so mm -hmm. they go to therapy it, when in reality a lot of men would benefit from it not because of problematic behaviors per se but to express their frustrations that they cannot express because it's seen as something unacceptable in society more so of course for men of color men of color of course um by men, gay men, trans men, are of course, pressured even more. Yeah. And, and, and have to deal with uh, much more like stigma and internalized shame as well. I mean, when you think about what just happened yesterday with uh, the Supreme Court refusing trans people the right to serve in the U.S. military, citing that having transgender people in the military would somehow reduce the military is lethality, yeah. which is absolutely crazy when you think about the fact that this is the same military that spends more money on Viagra than on HRT and on transition surgeries. Yeah. The thing is, there is a certain... And military being part of that idea of traditional masculinity. Exactly, exactly. And so the, the idea is that somehow trans people and trans men in particular are not quite men. That they're um, not masculine At enough. this point, it's not even that they're not quite people, I think. Yeah, was... I mean, with this administration, yeah. But, but yeah, and, and, and what the uh, American Psychological, Psychological Association says also is that 
um, yeah, bi men and trans men have more pressure to deal with because it's all like finding their place in their own in, the situ in, in their own form of masculinity because masculinity is not that in itself. It's about identity building uh, and finding how you want to express your gender mm. and what matters to you. And I mean, I have I have this experience of working in with with men in close environments, and I was the only woman there, which was really surprising for me. Is that there was sometimes a form of collective behaviors where those people would be completely different in their work environment and with their spouses, and it was like. Not that they were becoming someone else, but they were choosing to project one facet of their personality and only that one, mm. which was very disturbing for me because I needed to be much more global in my approach of things. Mm. I, cannot, I couldn't just push aside entire aspects of who I am uh, just to work. I could that, like, do that for a few hours, but not, not in my downtime, it was, which was very interesting is to see them interact in work, but also in the downtime uh, with their colleagues and with their spouses, they were not the same persons almost. Mm. I understand it's how a lot of men work, and it's the compartmentalization that they are able to do, and and that the shift in the digestion of a, of the way you handle your emotions that's also linked to the hormones, which trans men do experience when they take hormones, mm. uh, as well as their increased aggressivity. So trans men also experience, along with incre increased aggression. Because of testosterone, increased aggression, increased libido. Yeah, I mean that, 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 yeah, that's part of the hormonal part mm. of the of the of the biological of being biologically man male. Mm. It, it's like that's I always have this kind of this experience in mind when I work with with uh, with men, mm. whether they're they're uh, cis or trans mm. or even like non-binary non but um, assigned uh, male at birth. Mm. Uh, is that we have to find that place of vulnerability for them, like who they really are, like a place in therapy where they don't project mm. one or the other of their uh, aspect of their personality, but really it's really about finding that place of vulnerability, that place where they won't be projecting one aspect of their personality or the other, but where we can really be more touching who they are at their core. Mm. I mean, for me as a therapist, I try to uh, tune in with that vulnerability, to be able to reach out for it so that the client feels comfortable showing it hmm. or maybe discovering it because for some person it's just somewhere they never, it's not something they never really experienced or they never, um, they were never told or taught that they could express all those, all those emotions or even what they feel, what, what, what they feel is emotion hmm. and it happened with some women as well. Let's be clear, but it's, it tends to happen more with 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 cis men yeah. that they just don't know what they feel because no one helped them to make sense of what they were feeling. There's another thing I wanted to mention about aggression briefly. Mm -hmm. um, it's a study that uh, was cited in a fantastic book that I recommend everyone needs mm -hmm. to read because it's like amazing. <laughs> um, it's called Behave by Robert Sapolsky, where he talks about human behaviors in a more evolutionary and epigenetic context. And what's interesting is that there are certain things about masculinity, now I'm talking about biological masculinity, mm -hmm. that evoke automatic preferences for us when it comes to choosing leaders in times of war. So there's this study where in scenarios concerning war, 
Western and East Asian subjects of the study would prefer candidates that, that are older and have more masculine faces. And during peacetime, they would prefer younger and more feminine faces, or more rounded kind of features. It's interesting that ma more masculine faces were linked to aggression, and therefore aggression was also linked to winning. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that in war, aggression would be linked to something quote-unquote good. Um, and w whereas during peacetime, it's more important to um, kind of preserve the um, collective, you know, make sure that everyone is okay, which is what more feminine energy is usually used for. So it's quite interesting that there is some sort of biological link for mm -hmm. us uh, as animals. Considering our society has evolved the way it has, considering we have kind of done away with the idea that sex equals gender, or are in the process of doing away with it, I'm a little bit hasty here. Um, it's kind of interesting how these kinds of things are evolving. More and more women are being involved in the military, more and more women are becoming leaders. Women who don't have masculine faces, and yet they still have to project masculine ideals. Mm. You know? and, they, and they do it. Yeah, you know, like wearing pantsuits, or having short hair, even like those kinds of small things, being more assertive. Whenever a woman, say Hillary or Angela Merkel, takes the stage, they're immediately labor labeled as a bitch. I mean, I, my, my experience uh, working in that only environment mm. is that because even though it was not necessarily na all natural for me, I would subscribe to the code of that environment. Uh, some of my colleagues told me, "No, but you're not a woman. You're you're a bo you're a body. You're a, you're one of us. You're a colleague. You're a bro. You're a bro. Yeah." <laughs> And I was, and I was like, okay, which was actually what was I going for? Because I wasn't there to be a woman or a man. I was just there to be part of how it was working. Mm. Even though I did work, voice with some of them that it was disturbing not to be, uh, how, not, how to see them change so much depending on the circumstances. Um, but yeah, it's a whole difference between uh, the identity that we 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 build for ourselves. We understand mm. who. It's not just building, it's understanding who we are mm. and building an identity from there is different from our biological sex. Mm. And that we might have uh, traits from bio that are just rooted in biology, mm. but we are more than that. And yeah. men, I mean cis male, might be stronger physically in average mm. than, than cis women. It's not always true mm. between two individuals, uh, but that doesn't mean that I'll have to do manual work or be aggressive or be all of that. It's just that there is this biological fact in average that comes from our evolution, but it doesn't define who we are as individuals. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I grew up in a culture where men are oftentimes reduced to their physical strength, mm -hmm. at the same time while being infantilized. I remember very clearly that when I went, you know, being in school around around boys, girls were always expected to help boys with their work. You know, they were always expected to be okay with letting them copy their homework. Just citing the idea that, you know, boys are slower, they're going to they're going to be a little slower on the uptake, which is not true. We had very very interesting, very intelligent boys in my class who didn't need to be coddled that way. And another thing is that you know, there are some societies where where women are still considered weaker in terms of physicality and in terms of emotionality, which to me is quite interesting when in reality, you know, a woman can handle emotions so a lot easier. And I'm, I'm, and I'm talking women as in cis women on average. 
But I remember quite distinctly that a friend of mine who is a good friend, a fantastic guy, yeah, quite open to experiences, and yet whenever we had to like carry groceries together, he would always try to grab the bags from me, even though we can lift the same amount of weight. And there's still this idea of, you know, you still you still need to keep your uh, your uh, uterus intact in case you know something rips if you carry like it's a very antiquated idea that a woman can't carry weight or can't yeah. carry as much weight as a man. Actually, the, the yeah, have you tried carrying a baby in your body? <laughs> That's like carrying a heavy weight for a long period of time. It's it's yeah, it, it, those ideas. Are, some of them are actually. Um, have um, some make some kind of sense biologically, mm. but if you really uh, dig deeper, you understand that there might not even be uh, be true yeah. at all, and are just contra- construction. And that's all, all. All I mean, the what the APA guidelines are about It's mm. about recognizing that there are those influences and that there are constructions to learn how to deconstruct them to find something that doesn't hurt mm. the clients, and also sometimes using. Are the good aspects mm. of traditional masculinity because they are, and some form of social supports uh, actually are uh, the camaraderie um, mm-hmm. and uh, when we refer to military uh, traditions, there is there a solidarity and sometimes even a solidarity uh, that can erase like uh, different uh, origins mm. when it's well done, <laughs> and that is a positive thing. Mm. Um, just as long as it doesn't exclude some people because of their sexual orientation or personality traits yeah. or gender expression. Yeah. But there is here uh, something that I actually uh, have experienced and, in, and enjoyed as and the fact that this solidarity, maybe because also, you know, with all those projections of different facets of personality, nothing was taken as personally mm. as women tend to do. <laughs> I'm generalizing a bit, but uh, not the idea. And that, therefore, you could count on those people even though you wouldn't be close to them mm. individually because there was this group effect. And that it would not go beyond what's personal. Yeah. And, and that, that is without being entirely linked to traditional masculinity is a good aspect of it. Of course, things get even more complicated for people who don't conform, outwardly do not conform. Oh, yeah, to, of course not. To yeah. Appearance masculinity mm-hmm. and I'm not talking just about non-binary people or gay men I'm also talking about trans women who were assigned male. Yeah at birth. Yeah. Yeah And and who were expected to, to be conforming to all of these toxic standards mm-hmm. That just didn't fit. Yeah, and then have to spend years and years in therapy trying to untangle What was you know, their trans experience versus their nonconformity to toxic masculinity. I'm going to say one thing, mm. is that also not having to conform to, to conform to what I would call toxic femininity, mm. because that exists. Absolutely. Saying to a trans woman that she has to wear dresses, wear heels, torture herself physically mm. to be pretty, to be a woman, that's toxic. Yeah. Uh, as it is toxic to say to a trans man than to being a guy, he has to like punching other people. Yeah, uh, it's 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 all bullshit. Yeah, these kinds of ideas are are very antiquated, very wrong, and very harmful in the long run. Also, like because like think about it for cis women, it's already some. I mean, some people enjoy that and are into it, and it's great if they are genuinely into it. But it's already it can be torture enough to wear very high heels 
for cis women who have like smaller feet. Imagine like when you are a trans woman and you are being told, even by a psychologist, the one who's going to give an uh, um, to uh, to give an opinion about whether or not you should have your hormones or you can uh, go to surgery, to tell you that you need to wear those high heels that you can't even find because your feet are too big yeah. for the standard shoes, uh, women's shoes. And that also because you maybe want different type of shoes, like your form, the form of your feet doesn't work at all. It's pure torture. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and that's unfortunately the case for a lot of a lot of people here in the Netherlands even who who are going through the, the process of transitioning that they have to conform to these kinds of old gender stereotypes that you have to live as your was it live as your preferred gender or yeah. something? Is that their formulation? I mean I think that this idea of living as your preferred gender uh, before transitioning mm. it's not entirely stupid mm. um, because it's also in in your identity seeking process for some people, it, it's really necessary. Yeah. For others, it isn't at all because they're very clear. Yeah, but also living as your quote-unquote preferred gender. No. I also really don't like that formulation. But it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. Yeah, no. it doesn't mean that you have to wear a skirt if you're a trans woman. Neither does it mean that you have to join a boxing ring if you're a trans man. No. You know, it. These kinds of definitions are super narrow and super. Yeah. They kind of reduce the person to just what's no. between their legs. I can I can see the point in some situation. That's what I was saying, mm. but. Also, it can be very um, dangerous for some people mm. because trying to present as uh, feminine or masculine without hormones, mm. uh, without some surgical help, uh, can make it like you won't pass. Mm-hmm. And in some areas, not passing is dangerous. Yeah. So there's basically a lot there. One thing I will say that, you know, after looking at the plethora of comments on the Gillette ad and having to uh, get a glass of wine afterwards, also looking at the at the news from the US about the, the whole mm-hmm. army thing it just kind of baffles my mind personally how humanity still hasn't seemed to have grasped that the power of of nature is in diversity you know the reason we have evolved the way we have and the reason we have survived as a species the reason any species has survived has always been variety and diversity which means that there should be all different kinds of men and all different kinds of women and all different kinds of people because that's what's going to in- of, ensure our survival. And of other genders as well. Exactly. So there is no one way to be a man, just like there's no one way to be a person. Everyone is different, and those kinds of differences should be celebrated instead of being put in a box. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I'll just add two things. Mm-hmm. If you are a man, and if you go to therapy, and your therapist makes you a woman, also, mm-hmm. but if you're a man specifically here, and your therapist tries to make you conform to some norms, mm-hmm. gender norms, leave. Yeah. Right away. This person is not a good therapist. Mm. Um, whether they make you conform to... Uh, Stereotypes about masculinity or about femininity—they are not just not just not a good therapist. Yeah. And it's not me saying it's the uh, American Psychological Association <laughs> and other um, psychological association for that matter. Mm. Uh, and the other thing is that, as I think, it's an important step in um, an identity building when you are um, non-straight, and of course when you are not cis. But when you are not straight, it's also part of the journey to deconstruct those norms. Because even though you might be mostly gender-conforming uh, and, and cisgender, 
just the fact of that your sexuality is different makes it that you don't conform to those rules. So it's really to take the time to deconstruct them, see how you have internalized them, yeah. see how you relate to them. And if there are things that you really enjoy, go for it. Uh, it I mean, your hobbies are stereotypically masculine. If you enjoy them, great for you. Yeah. But if you realize that you were watching football, whether it's soccer or American football, just because you thought you had to, you can stop. So yeah, what are your experiences with traditional masculinity? Of course, again, we took a quite a Western-centered approach here because that's, well, all we know. <laughs> and that's all the bulk of, unfortunately, the bulk of studies that we could find as well. If there are any other experiences that you've had with traditional masculinity in your parts of the world, we would love to hear your opinions. Either write to us on uh, our email or tweet to us or, I don't know, send a pigeon, whatever works, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.